Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given it to us and please help um, to soften our hearts today as we hear it um, and help Patty to speak truthfully to us. Amen. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. It's up here on the screen for us. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh, in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, thanks, Alice. A warm welcome to you if this is your first time at public meeting. Uh, oh, it's working. Oh, that's nice. It wasn't working when we tested it earlier on. Nice work, Sam. We even did fix the uh, PA. That's good. I thought I'd have to um, project loudly. Uh, once again, a warm welcome if this is your first time at public meeting. For those who haven't met me, my name's uh, Paddy. I'm one of the staff workers uh, here at the EU, and they've invited me to come and give this talk today. We're looking at the second in our series of what it means to belong. Uh, if you've got a copy of that uh, passage from Ephesians 5 open in front of you, that'll be really helpful. Uh, Lachlan, is it actually working? Not really. That's, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, I can't do that. But Just talk quietly to your neighbour. Okay, that'll do. I don't know. Now you can stop talking. Okay. Uh, I wonder whether or not... Uh, uh, if this is your first time here, if you weren't here last week, a warm welcome to you. If you've come back the second time, then we're really glad that you're able to join us. Apparently, according to the promotional video, which I only just saw, this is going to be a, quote, cracker of a talk, quote. <laughs> so I really hope I can meet, meet up to your expectations. Uh, but this week, we're continuing our series on belonging. I wonder whether or not there are times in life, very sort of tangible times in life, where you've known that you have not belonged. I shared one of my experiences last week. For those who were here, it was my sort of first couple of weeks of university. I worked, walked on the campus and uh, knew nobody, actually, out of about 25,000 other people. Uh, for you, I don't know what it was. I was reading in the newspaper this morning and I was reading about some of the riots that had been going on in uh, Charlottesville over in America uh, with some of the sort of alt-right, the, what they might call the white supremacist movements. It was very interesting that one of the quotes that came out uh, was the claim that America belongs to white people. That made me feel a little bit like I don't belong. 
even though I am Caucasian. I just thought that is not something that I would ever utter, nor is that something that I would ever say, yet that's clearly something who, someone who is of the same race as me who is making that particular claim. But I must admit when I read it, I felt really uncomfortable and thought actually that just makes me feel... I'll give you another illustration, this one, very interesting. I was, um, it was a time about 10 or 12 years ago, I went to visit Castle Hill Woolworths. I think it was Castle Hill Woolworths. Anyone from Castle Hill Woolworths? Yeah, yeah Shaq, yeah, okay, <laughs> go ahead and check. Now this was 10 or 12 years ago, so things may have changed a little bit. Uh, I walked into Castle Hill Woolworths, I was on the way home from uh, Maru of all places, lovely Maru, and I just needed to do some shopping. So I walked into Castle Hill Woolworths, and I'm walking around just picking up a few groceries for dinner that night, and after about five to eight minutes, I started to feel quite unwell, like physically quite unwell. I thought this is a bit unusual, maybe it was the Maru food, maybe it was the travel. And I started to genuinely feel quite unwell, so I finished my shopping and left, and I really couldn't work out why I'd felt unwell. Once I'd left the shopping centre, a couple, couple of minutes later, I felt fine again. There was something about me being in the Woolworths that made me feel very uncomfortable. And I realised afterwards, about a couple of weeks afterwards, what it was. At that particular time, I was uh, working as a staff worker over at the University of New South Wales. At that point, the campus was about 75% Asian and 25% non-Asian. I was living out in the eastern suburbs in Kingsford, very dominant, dominantly populated with Asian people. For me, that was sort of home. When I walked into Woolworths, the reason why I felt uncomfortable was I felt out of place because there were no Asians in there. <laughs> now, I don't know what it's like now. I've not been back. I'm not being detrimental to any particular race, but my own experience of being in that place, even though I was a Caucasian and arguably fitted in perfectly, was that I felt completely out of place, didn't belong, and it actually made me feel physically unwell. I would not have thought that. It was a really interesting experience. What is it for you, perhaps? A moment when you've actually felt that tangible, I really don't belong. What is it about not belonging and not feeling like we don't belong that makes us feel uncomfortable? We've all had experiences where we genuinely know we're on the outer. Why is it that Instagram and Facebook sometimes, if not often, tend to raise that feeling like we're missing out? Which is why we keep swiping, isn't it? To try and find something else that we think we will connect with, something that we will belong to. Underlying our anxieties of missing out is actually the desire to belong. It's the desire to be part of something other than ourselves. And I think we know this to be true, even if at times we don't like admitting it. Because as soon as we admit it, we're recognising that we're not content with who we are. We're not content with our place in life. I think when we consider what it means to belong, we really hope that what it means is that we've found our place. That we know where we're meant to be, that we feel like we've been accepted and valued and that our actions are recognised. Now, from a Christian point of view, I want to suggest that this sense of belonging is deeply grounded in the reality that, talks, that the Bible talks about, about being made by God, by being part of his creation, and that the truest expression of belonging is grounded in and flows from this reality. We've found our place. And that is as someone known and loved by our Creator God. We know where, our, where we are meant to be. It's in a relationship with God. 
we feel as though we've been accepted and valued because we've now found meaning and purpose. I think this is a foundational point of what it means to belong. So today I want to spend a little bit of time looking at how this is actually possible. What does it actually mean to belong to God? How do you get right with God? How do you belong to God? So the passage that was read for us in Ephesians chapter 2 describes two particular groups of people. Um, there are the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? Now, if you're unfamiliar to sort of the Bible and you never really talked about what it means to be a Jew or a Gentile, let me give you a brief ex explanation. One group known as the Gentiles uh, were those who, if you like, did not belong to God by virtue of their birth. In contrast, the Jews, well, the Jews, from God's perspective, were those who were his chosen people. As you read through the Old Testament narrative, God chooses a particular individual, Abraham, who was known as Abram, and promises that he would make from him a great nation, give him lots of descendants, gave him the promise of a wonderful land that his descendants would live in, and that all of the other nations round about this nation that God would form from the descendants of Abraham would come and bless what would become known as the Jewish people. And over 2,000 years, God honoured that promise that he had made to this man Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. If you were born as a descendant of Abraham, you were a Jew. You belonged to God by virtue of birth. You were God's people his treasured possession. And the passage also shows us that there are those who are the Gentiles and in just sort of the bluntest terms, they're the non-Jews. They're the ones who just don't fit in. And friends, if you're not ethnically Jewish, and I suspect that's probably most of us, then we're the Gentiles. By birth, we actually don't belong to God. Now, it's interesting that throughout the Old Testament, there's this notion of a Christ figure. And we saw this when we uh, read the particular verse. One of the, verse, the first verses that was read for us, oh, we're not there yet, uh, was in verse 12, which says that we are uh, excluded from the Christ. We are separated from Christ in verse 12. Now, this Christ was a figure who was promised to come throughout the Old Testament. It was a particular individual who God would raise up, who would bring about God's kingdom on earth. It was a person who perfectly obeyed God, who would come on behalf of God, God's anointed king. Now this great person, this Christ or Messiah, was someone who the Jewish nation were looking forward to for hundreds if not thousands of years. And the reason why the Christ needed to come was for two particular reasons. Firstly, because time and time again the nation of Israel had actually wandered away from God and disobeyed him. They needed rescuing essentially from themselves. And secondly, all of the other nations round about the nation of Israel had little respect for the nation of Israel and probably even less respect for their God. And God had decided that this messianic figure, this Christ figure, would come and judge those who stood against God. So if you are not a Jew, of which I am not, and I suspect many of you are not, then friends, if you are not a Jew, you had a major problem. There was no way that God could declare you part of his family. There was no way you could be right with God. There was no way you could be included in God's plans. Just to put it bluntly, but obviously you did not belong. And you might say, well, actually that's okay. 
Maybe the Jews can just have their God and I'll have my God or my non-existent deity or just my non-existent nothing. As long as we tolerate each other's gods, then the Jews can have their God and just get on and do their thing and I'll just do my thing over here and everything will be okay. Well, maybe, but let's listen to see what the God of the Israelites says about all of the other people who don't respect him. In Jeremiah, there's this prophecy. It says, The clamour will resound to the ends of the earth for the Lord has an indictment against the nations, essentially the Gentiles, who is entering into judgment with all flesh and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Doesn't sound promising if you're part of the nations. Secondly, in Joel, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them among the nations and divided up my land. See, the other nations around about didn't respect God nor his nation and they would just come in time after time and try and seek to actually destroy the nation of Israel, both in terms of its people and its land. So you're still willing to take your chances against this God of Israel, the creator God. We could spend more and more time just reading in the Old Testament of how God deals with those who do not belong to him. Against those who choose to go to war against God and his people. Against those who refuse to recognise God as God. The writer of the Hebrews, sometime later in chapter 10, says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Go up against God and you will always come off second best. You will be destroyed and be no more. Let me give you an example. Have, has anyone met any Babylonians? Just in your classes, have you met any Babylonians? What sort of genuine, genuine question? Anyone who can trace their lineage all the way back to the great empire of Babylon? It was arguably the world's superpower for a season and it is no more. Our biblical understanding says that among other things it was God who came against the Babylonians because they came against the nation of Israel. Go up against God, you will come off second best friends. If you're considering going up against God, can I urge you please today to reconsider. Just think about your position before God. I think, in fact I know from a biblical perspective, it is a foolish option that will not end well for you, friends. So how did it come about that we as Gentiles don't belong? Is it just purely by virtue of the fact that we weren't born into a particular family of which we had no choice? Well, actually a little bit earlier in the letters to the Ephesians, Paul says this, if you've got the uh, Bible open, you can see there in the beginning of Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul says this, You, which is you Gentiles, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we as Gentiles were unable to belong to God and be in a right relationship with him fundamentally because we were dead in this thing that the Bible calls trespass and sin. We were dead in our rebellion against God because we have no way of knowing who God is. We're not in his family. And God will hold us to account for the fact that we continue to rebel against him. Friends, the reason why 
in our natural state or at birth we don't belong is because we've done wrong. And I don't know about you, but that actually makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like it when people confront me and say, Patty, you've done the wrong thing. Does it make me feel a bit uncomfortable? Sort of tied in with the shameful reality that you've actually broken some sort of law or the reality that you've gone against your own word or you've hurt somebody. You've broken trust, broken faith in relationship. And when someone holds you to account and tells you that what you have done is wrong, we actually do feel a bit uncomfortable. We don't like hearing that we've done wrong. But friends, today we do need to hear it. For without rightly understanding that we have done wrong, we will not fully comprehend that as a result we do not belong to God. And if we don't appreciate and recognise that, we won't appreciate just what he has done for us to enable us to belong. Notice what verse 12 says, uh, some of the consequences of not belonging. There's four things that are said. Paul points out here four things. Firstly, we, that's the Gentiles, are separated from Christ. We're separated from the Jewish Messiah. All of the good things that he was going to come and do, we as Gentiles have no natural part in. A little bit like the child sort of standing on the glass of the lolly shop. You can see in, you just can't access it. In some senses, the Gentiles could observe what was going on in the Jewish nation, but were unable to get there. Oh, let me give you an example. Back in Herod's day, when he rebuilt the temple, he placed this sign up. Uh, at what was called the Court of the Gentiles, which was an area outside the sort of the main part of the temple. And this is what it said. It read, No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade, sort of a row of pillars, and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death which will follow. If you are a Jew, the temple was the place where you went to meet God and worship him. If you are a Gentile, you were excluded from that place. There's a big sign up saying this. Walk past this row of pillars and you will die. Now in this particular case, the death was not by sort of a supernatural lightning bolt coming down from heaven. Although in the Old Testament, when people disobeyed God regarding his holy of holies, actually people did die like that. No, in this case, the Romans had given the Jews permission that if a non-Jew entered beyond the place that they were allowed to go, they were allowed to legitimately be put to death. So consider yourself a first century Gentile, genuinely wanting to try and meet God. And so you go up to the temple and basically you see this sign. It's basically saying, if you're not a Jew, go away. You are not welcome. You do not belong. Paul is a little bit more subtle, I think, in verse 12. You are separated from Christ. Pretty much the same thing, actually. If you're separated from Christ, you don't receive any of his benefits. Notice the second thing he says. Those of us who are Gentiles are considered aliens from the nation of Israel. And that's the reason why we're separated. Because we're not citizens in God's nation. Now, if you, like me, are a citizen of this particular country, think sort of Dorothy McKellar, a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, rugged mountain ranges 
of droughts and flooding rains. I had to learn that whole poem at school. And now I have to read it because I can't even remember half a stanza. But if you, like me, are a citizen of this country, and many would say it is genuinely a fine country, then you probably don't know what it meant to be a refugee. And you don't know what it means to currently be a refugee because you are a citizen. Now, some of you may have been refugees or you may have come from families who were refugees and emigrated to Australia, in which case you will know either very firsthand or in your immediate family what it meant to not be a citizen. But if you have now become a citizen, you now know the difference between the exclusion and knowing that you don't belong and the inclusion and the benefits of being a citizen. In many respects, the same thing is going on here. If we, were not, if we are not Jewish, we do not know what it means to be a citizen in the, in the place of God, in the country of God. Thirdly, notice here, as a result of not belonging to the nation of Israel, you genuinely just miss out on all the benefits. So in this case, notice what Paul says. Not only are you alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you are strangers to the covenants of promise. This great promise that was made to Abraham and all the nation of Israel, you do not get access to that. You're just excluded. If you're not a Jew, you cannot claim the benefit of the promise. And finally, if you're not a Jew, Paul says you have no hope and you are without God. Full stop. So I'm a Gentile, and I take it most of you are Gentiles. And at the moment, if you actually understand what's going on here, if the story stopped here, this would be massively depressing. Like seriously, massively, massively depressing. And the reason why is because we as Gentiles, in our natural state, are completely unable to get anywhere near God. We cannot even come and carry out religious observances in his presence. There is nothing we can offer God. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can say. He will not listen. There is nothing we can become. We do not belong. And friends, that's you and I together. But that's not where the story ends, so don't leave now. That's what Paul says in the next verse. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's ponder that for a minute. Of all the things that we've been talking about, the reality that you do not belong, all of the things that you have been excluded from, friends, it is now possible for all of that to be completely overturned by one thing, the blood of Jesus. And interestingly, this is the blood of the Christ who up until this point when he died, you and I were excluded from. Those of us who were far off, who were alienated, who were outsiders, those of us who were not Jews, now by his blood, we can now belong. And in doing so, one of the outcomes is that peace is created. Peace is created between us and God. For all of us who were in hostility towards God, actively and passively, by our willful rejecting of him and our active ignorance of him, 
God's anger against those things is now turned aside. And Jesus takes that on the cross. In this little section in verses 14 to 17, Paul talks about peace four times because the peace that comes enables God and you and I to now be at peace. See, peace here between God and anyone who will accept God's offer is established because of the man Jesus Christ. Peace is established not because of better education, not because of deft political process, and not through the amending of any legislation. Because the work that God does in establishing peace is a work that changes our hearts to rightly orientate them towards him that we might love him. Paul also writes here that the particular commandments that stood against people that showed that they were actually willfully rebelling against God, these commandments have now been done away with. And so the hostility that stood between God and both Jew and Gentile, all of humanity, has been done away with. Notice how Paul continues in verse 16 that we might reconcile us both to God, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. See, that which the Jews had earnestly sought to try and obtain by obeying the law and by virtue of being God's people, they too were unable to obtain. Yes, the Jews were close to God, but they were still not reconciled to him perhaps not unlike a child in a family who continues to exist within the family unit. They come and they go, they eat the food, they drop off their washing and expect it to be clean, they expect the car to be full of petrol whenever they need it. Starting to get a bit close to home for some of us. But because of that one fight with mum or dad, they haven't spoken to them for years close but not reconciled at all. A little bit like the older brother from Luke 15 that we saw last week. Lived all of his days with his father yet demonstrated anger towards the decisions that he made. The Jews were close to God. They were his chosen people yet they still needed to have peace preached to them. For they needed to be reconciled to God and in Jesus this was now possible. And likewise for us as Gentiles, we who were far away from God, we needed peace preached to us so that we might, so that we might be adopted into God's family. That we might now be able to live with God. We needed to hear that we're acting in a hostile manner towards God. But the death of Jesus enables that hostility to be dealt with and peace to now be brought about. And the outcome of peace between us and God is that we now call him Father. We have access to God through his Spirit. It's the same Spirit for both Jew and Gentile. And not surprisingly, although perhaps unexpectedly, because this Spirit now works in those who have accepted Jesus, it means they too can live peaceably with other people. Friends, today we've heard about the offer that's made to all people. It's an offer that's worth considering if you've never considered it before. 
It's an offer that was made both to the Jew, but here particularly to the Gentile. That Jesus dies as the Christ to reconcile you back to God. Turning back to God requires you to do a couple of things. Firstly, recognise that the reason that you don't belong to God is because you've done the wrong thing. And for some of us, that's going to be hard to accept. Even though I think with some time on reflecting on the way in which we treat God, we realise actually we've not treated him as we should have. It means we accept that we can't reconcile ourselves back to God. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, no matter what we try and offer God, we will not be able to reconcile ourselves back to God. But we recognise that Jesus dying as the Christ means that you and I can be reconciled back to God and that that offer has stood for the last 2,000 years. It means accepting that you need God's offer of help. It's recognising that the outcome of reconciliation will be peace between you and God. That you will accept with thankfulness what God has done for you in giving of his Son. That you recognise that Jesus' reconciliation means we can now call God our Father. And that we accept that a relationship with God is our rightful place of belonging with all other attempts at belonging paling in comparison. And it means recognising that our lives will then be lived differently because we now belong to God. Friends, today is a great day to be reconciled to God. If you don't yet belong to God, can I urge you to consider today the offer of God's reconciliation that you might belong to him? Alice, over to you. I'm going to pray to God now, um, so if you'd join with me. Father, thank you that we are able to belong to you despite our nature to turn away. Help us to accept your offer of help. Please help us to understand who Jesus is and what he has done to allow us to know you as our God. Thank you that Jesus allows us to belong to you and for the great grace and joy we can receive in knowing you. Forgive us from turning away from you and help us to live in peace with you. Amen.